Hey everybody, I'm Mike Yeager, and I want to thank you for checking us out. Welcome to Vessel. We're so excited to get things rolling here in Meadows Place. It has been a blast so far. If you're in the Meadows or nearby in Southwest Houston or Fort Bend County, Stafford, we would love to meet you. Or if you know anyone in the area searching for a Christian community that is Jesus-centered, justice-minded, and a safe and inclusive place for all people. We are gathering regularly through the fall during this initial planting season and invite you to join us on this shared journey of healing and hope. Here's the message from this weekend, and we pray it as a blessing to you. So stop me if you've heard this one, except don't, because it's important to what I'm going to say next, so that a storm descends on a small town, and the downpour soon becomes a flood, right? And as the waters rise, the local preacher is kneeling in prayer as the, on the church porch, surrounded by water. And by, by and by, one of the townsfolk comes by in a canoe and says, hey, hop in, preacher. Come on, waters are rising fast. And the preacher says, no, no, thank you, neighbor. I have faith in the Lord. He will save me. Okay. And the water's still rising. And then now the pious man is up on the roof, and he's going to wring in his hands. And another friend zips by on a motorboat. And he says, come on, preacher, we need to get you out of here. The levees are going to break. And the preacher is unmoved. He says, I shall remain. I have faith in the Lord. He will see me through. And after a while, the levee breaks and, and the flood rushes over the church until only the steeple remains. And now the preacher's just hanging on to the cross. And the helicopter descends out of the clouds and says, Preacher, grab the ladder. This is your last chance. And the preacher insists the Lord will deliver him. And then he drowns. And a moment later, he's standing before God and asking, what happened? And God says, well, you drown. And the pious man says, well, well, Lord, I had such unwavering faith in you. Why didn't you rescue me from that flood? To which the Lord says, as you can probably guess, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. And so we can chuckle, but it's, it's a story that, that many of us share. Deliverance from the, our, our troubles, if it, if it comes at all, doesn't often come in the way that we'd expect or in the way that we'd like it to or in a, a manner and a timing that is, is convenient or acceptable to us. Or, or oftentimes, if we're being really honest, we simply don't want help in the first place. Or at least I don't. We call it faith when really we're just biding time, convinced that eventually we will be able to save ourselves. And this collective tendency is not our fault necessarily. It is our problem. The time and space we inhabit in this age and in this context, certainly in this nation, is one which elevates and venerates the, the flourishing and the achievement of the individual above seemingly all else. A false gospel of prosperity. It links our notions of, of success and contentment to a dangerous kind of uh, alleged faithfulness that, that is really just bootstrap self-sufficiency. I've got this. Watch me. And my success will be proof of divine favor. And relying on others, even on God, is not often a quality admired in those around us or, or tolerated in ourselves. And there, there's an Old Testament story you may be familiar with. It takes place in 2 Kings. It's, it's an encounter shared by uh, Elisha, the, the prophet and successor to Elijah. And he's approached by a widow in the community, distraught says, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, 
but a creditor has come to take my two children as slaves. And, and so right away, we have signs of what, uh, what a desperate, dire situation this is for the unnamed woman. Her husband is dead, and now her son's at risk of being sold into slavery to, to pay these debts would leave her utterly alone and vulnerable. And these events threaten to place her at the very bottom of the social strata at this time. And so Elisha responds, what, what, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And, and she answered, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. I have nothing except. And it's the except that Elisha is listening for. And he says, go outside and he borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels and not just a few. And then go in and shut the door behind you and start pouring. Okay. Okay. Into the vessels. And when it's full, set it aside. And, when each, and so she left him and shut the door behind her. And her and her children, they kept bringing vessels to her. And she kept pouring. Okay. I love this story. The miracle that plays out in collective action. This woman does not remain silent to the injustice she's experiencing, but she, she cries out. There's holy humility in, in sharing the lament, in naming the need, in saying, I cannot do this on my own. There's a relationship. This is a woman known by Elisha and known by others in the context of this community. There's creativity. Elisha doesn't solve her problem right away, but, but instead offers to, to, to help her navigate with, with dignity. What do you have in the house? What's in your hands? A jar of oil, which activates the, the real miracle, because the, the instrument of her liberation is, is already in her possession, and it is not, you know, a, a bottomless bottle. It's the community of which she is part. The widow's not too proud to request the vessels, and, and presumably those in the community are only too willing to provide them. And so, so we talked last time about authenticity and vulnerability, the healing that's possible when we cultivate a community of genuine belonging, of genuine empathy, of genuine trust. Because too often in our, in our shared culture, cultures, the, the expression of need is considered unseemly or even taboo. We don't want to trouble anyone, which only reinforces and deepens our collective neurotic obsession with image management. Right? We fear being vulnerable with each other. We fear exposing our need and our failure with each other because that admission means admitting that things haven't gone according to our plan, right? And because of this fear, the fear of being needy in a community of inherent need, the church cannot be the church. So psychologist Richard Beck, he puts it this way. He says, a collection of self-sustaining and self-reliant people, people who are all pretending to be fine, is not the kingdom of God. It's a group of humans refusing to be human beings and trying to be God. Such a church is comprised of fearful people working hard to keep up appearances and unable to trust each other to the point of loving self-sacrifice. In such a church, each member is expected to be self-sufficient and self-sustaining, thus making no demands on others. Unfortunately, 
where there is no need, where there is no vulnerability, there can be no love. And so some of us are hurting, maybe even suffering. Some of us are, are doubting, maybe even despairing. And help has been slow to come and our patience grows thin. And even if and when it does arrive, it doesn't seem like enough, not fast enough, not sufficient enough or lasting enough. And we're back to worry before long, waiting on an answer. Good news, bad news. Waiting on signs of progress, waiting on payday, waiting on an apology, waiting on forgiveness, waiting on healing, waiting on a break, waiting on a miracle. It is absolutely true that waiting in the immortal words of Tom Petty it's the hardest part. Thank you. That all in mind, I, I want to invite us into a season of waiting because I make it sound so exciting. Beautiful, painful, slow, sacred waiting. Because today is actually the, the first day of our new year as followers of Jesus. Happy New Year, by the way. Four Sundays preceding the Christmas celebration in which we observe Advent, which means if you haven't uh, gone through the season of the calendar for the liturgical calendar, it means arrival, an emergence, the dawning of something new as God descends from the heights and the expanse of the cosmos and puts on flesh, incarnate form to live and dwell with his beloved people and to model the way of sacrificial love to which we are each called. It's a different kind of waiting. It's not passively sitting back. It's actively preparing for this newness with hope and expectant longing. It's the pregnant anticipation of the coming of our Lord. And so in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, Jesus is, is prophesying the uh, impending destruction of the temple. And he's foreshadowing the plot uh, to take the life that he himself was preparing to lay down. And his disciples, understandably, they're just asking for something that they can put in their iCal. He says, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? And then Jesus does my favorite thing to point out. He ignores the question entirely. And he began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, this must take place. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. But these are the beginning of the birth pangs. Only the beginning. So we've got all of that to look forward to. Cool, cool. Anything sound familiar? Because we're already there. We're here now. This is where we live. We know all too well that the birth pangs remain ongoing on this side of the eternal veil. We can scarcely stand to, to watch the news, or at least I can't. And the peoples of the world, in our homes, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our hearts, and the earth itself just stretching, contracting. It's labor pains into which God says the Holy Spirit will come to you as a, as a midwife, present in love and strength and truth as, as we face all that Jesus warns us of, and persecution, and, and families turning against one another, and enmity growing between the people and the nations, and we cry out, how long must we wait? And if I knew, I would tell you. But endure with hope, Jesus says. Endure to the end, and trust and deliverance 
will come. Deliverance has come and is coming. And we pick up in the text in verse 24, it says, but in those days after that suffering, so we got to face that first, but after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather the elect from the four winds to the ends of the earth. God's beloved are everywhere to take them to the ends of heaven, of which there are none. So deliverance, it has come and is coming for everyone. And what this means, this is rescue from our fear and shame, rescue from our hatred toward enemies, both real and imagined, from our wrath toward our own minds and our bodies and our souls, from our boundless greed and lust for more, from our pride and self-centeredness, from our prejudice and intolerance. This is rescue from the hell of our own design. Hallelujah. That's the good news. That's the, it's a long and often dark and winding road to get there, but that is the good news, which both awaits and which lights the path toward that destination as distant as it may seem. And so Advent is not a, a, an admonition. It's not a, a test. It's, an it's not an obligation. It's an invitation to turn the page on the old stories of, of war and anger and fear and division and scarcity to which we have clung and to receive anew the, the upending, the abundant gift of the infant Christ. For unto us a child is born. Sweet breath, a son is given to us who we will come to know by many names. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, dear father, everlasting, ever present, never failing, master of wholeness, prince of peace. It just keeps going. It's a metaphor. It's an invitation to simplicity over mounting debts. It's an invitation into presence over needless excess. It's prioritizing and addressing our deep needs over our surface wants. Choosing forgiveness over resentment, contentment over anxiety, justice over judgment, neighbor over self, Christ over all. And I'm not saying don't give gifts. You should absolutely, within your means, do so, and to do so with Joy, I'm simply reminding you all, and mainly I'm reminding myself of something that we already know, that the perfect purchase and the perfect picture and the perfect gathering is not the way to peace, at least not the kind that lasts, right? And so the preacher in the rain, he presents us with this, this paradox, because which is it? If I'm waiting for God to show up, how will I know to read the signs? to recognize God right in front of me, let alone be willing to act according to the direction I am given. And met with this similar query, again, our Savior quite frustratingly answers with a story, and he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when your time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home, and puts his workers in charge, each with his task, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, 
For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at the cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. And the source word is actually closer to watchful. Keep awake, remain watchful, alert, ready. If you miss the canoe, do not fear. Maybe you'll catch the motorboat. So some of you know my dog, Lewis. He's a good boy. He's also deeply neurotic. Would you look at this, this big doofus? I love him so much. So he was our, our COVID dog um, when we, like many of you all and like everybody, it seems like we made the same decision at the same time. It's like stuck at home, getting a dog. And when he was a puppy, we sent him away for, for training. And so a couple weeks went by and sure enough, he returned home with this, this brand new toolkit of all these you know, commands that, that he now knew. Some of them he still like, responds to from time to time. It's great. Uh, and one of those commands, place, it means that he jumps on to uh, this designated sitting place while we're at the dinner table, for instance, awaiting the next command. And so in the meantime, his job is one thing and one thing only to wait. And like you and I fight against it, I watch him fight against it, just vibrating, crawling out of his skin. Can't I just do something? Right? And I said, no, your job is to wait. And eventually he'll grumble and he does this really exaggerated, dramatic yawn to register his complaints, <laughs> like I do. And then he'll eventually breathe and You'll see his tension ease and he'll rest, if only for a moment. But he doesn't like to wait. And, and I don't either, neither do you in your own ways. And I think that's because waiting means that there is inherently something we're waiting on, which means that there is something out of our control. And being out of control tends to make us crazy. So we buy and hurry and schedule and do when all we really have to do is so perhaps this season is an invitation into a renewed gentleness and patience and attentiveness with ourselves and for one another, fueled by a conscious contact with, with God, that he would help us to watch and wait and, and pray that we may recognize God's voice above the noise of the world and above the noise within, so that, that when that next command is heard, that we would rise to meet it with obedience, with trust, with, with joy, that our hope would birth a faith in which we actively participate, right? I've heard it said that if you are praying for potatoes, like when you get off your knees, you better grab a shovel. Like we have a part in this, to be and to do. It's both and. And we don't always know what the next step is in our own walk, but we do know the command through which that discernment is always, always filtered. That whatever you do, whether at home or in your vocation or your school or in the neighborhood, am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and loving my neighbor as myself? And as we learn to watch and wait faithfully in a season like this, we learn to recognize when God beckons us to move. And so on this first Sunday of Advent, I want to end where we began, because whether searching for the stranded in the storm or, or coming to the aid of a grieving widow or the trafficked or the thirsty, we are not passive spectators. 
but often the very instrument through whom God chooses to answer the prayers of many. It's the entire town coming to the aid of, of George Bailey at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. Like I'm, It's going to bring me to tears just thinking about it. The, the richest man in town. When hope is held in community, it's just like the cup runs over, right? Because that draws from a well that is not, does not run dry. And so may that, may this season, may this season ahead be one in which a weary world finds reason to rejoice. Because once again, yonder reigns a new and glorious morn. I am ecstatic to be on this journey with you all in the way that it will shape us in the coming weeks. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to come and see, receive communion together. So may this season, Lord, birth in our lives and birth in our community a kind of holy disruption that, that as the voice of God pierces through the silent desert night, as the unexpected wail of a refugee infant, we will know that this world will never be the same. Help us to join in your mission to bring good news to the oppressed and to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release of the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to comfort all who mourn. Through this Advent season, may we be changed according to your will. We pray this in gratitude and abiding hope in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.